When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment, like no other, it's gonna be sick. Brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPIX for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. Marinero, The Sick Podcast, following... A very entertaining game last night between the Montreal Canadiens and the Vancouver Canucks, which saw the Montreal Canadiens finally win a game that went to overtime. They won it in a shootout and won the game by a score of 5-4 to four versus the Canucks last night after the Canucks beat the Montreal Canadiens in overtime the night before. Joining me right now to talk Vancouver Canucks hockey, I'll talk Cavs, he'll talk Canucks. Eventually, we'll both end up talking about everything, maybe even about the city of Montreal and maybe even about the city of Vancouver, Jeff Patterson, who he himself is on the VanCast Pod podcast with The Athletic. Jeff, how you doing, bud? Hey, Tony, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for doing this. I have a good buddy who lives in Vancouver who called me a couple of days ago and said, if the Canucks don't win both games versus the Canadians, their season is over. Now, here's the deal. They picked up three points on the weekend, but so did the Canadians. So the Canucks didn't advance. There's still two points behind the Canadians. The Canucks have played four more games. Do you think their season is over or not yet? Yeah, I mean, that was the problem that they get the three, but Montreal gets the three. So it's a push and it's two more games that are scratched off the schedule. The Canucks have played more hockey than everybody, Tony. They've got 21 games to go, and you get to this point in the schedule, the math becomes pretty simple. Like, the Canucks are a 500 team. They're 16, 16, and 3 as we record this. 500 is not going to get it done at the end of the season. Yeah. And they, they have had to scratch and claw their 8-2-1 and one in their last 11 games. Like, they've been on a heater here just to get back to 500 because their month of February – was atrocious. They won twice in 13 games in the month of February. You dig yourself that kind of hole, it is pretty hard to climb out of, especially in a condensed season like this one uh, with all the factors at play. Uh, so, yeah, they needed regulation wins, and they didn't get them. And even though they go 3-0-1 on a four-game road trip, you know, most years you would take that if you pick up seven of eight points out on the road out east. But they're at a point in time here because of the games played that they need regulation wins. They need them in a hurry. And with 21 games to go and Montreal with these games in hand, you know, you start to look at the math. And for me, again, 500 the rest of the way, that's going to leave them with 56 points. No way. I kind of pay, you know, I, I'm looking around 63 for the playoff bar. Probably the Canucks probably have to go 14 and seven over their final 21 games. So they've been on this yeah. nice stretch. Congratulations. Now do it again. That's basically where the math tells you for the Vancouver Canucks the rest of the way. Jeff, I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs. I really don't. I think in the north, it's going to be Toronto. It's going to be Edmonton. Uh, it's going to be Winnipeg. 
and it's probably going to come down to Montreal or Calgary. I think Vancouver is out, and at the end of the day, I got to tell you, I don't think Jim Benning did a good enough job with that hockey team. First of all, letting Tyler Toffoli walk the way he did at the contract he signed with the Montreal Canadiens, four and a half or four point two five million dollars uh, per season over the next four seasons is is extremely affordable. Here's a guy who can score goals, and it's the hardest thing in the National Hockey League to do. So I don't know how close they were or how close they weren't. It doesn't matter. He didn't get it done. Another thing is their defense is terrible. And the way they actually defend, maybe that has to fall a little bit on Travis Green or maybe even on Benning because their defensemen are just not good enough. That defense is very bad, Jeff. Very bad. <laughs> you don't have to convince me, Tony. Uh, and it's not just this season. You go back the last couple of years. Jacob Markstrom was the MVP of the Canucks two years in a row. Just go back to the bubble last summer when Thatcher Demko replaced Markstrom in that series against Vegas. Demko played out of his mind, but he had to because the shots were yeah. you know, 45 to 15 uh, on a, a nightly basis, it seemed. Last night, what were the final shots? 40 to 18, I think. Uh, it was Holtby. It wasn't Demko. But, man, the way the Canucks played last night. And, again, you know, at the end of a four-game road trip, six four games in six nights. But, you know, the Habs had played the night before. It was back-to-back for both teams. That resembled so many nights for the Vancouver Canucks the last bunch of seasons. And, you know, at some point, they've got to figure out a way to control play, to control the shots. You know, here they are, uh, again, a 500 hockey club, but at even strength this year, they've been outscored by nine. They've been outshot by more than 100 at even strength uh, 35 games into the season. And so it wasn't just last night. We're used to seeing this from the Canucks, and they always explain it away oh, well, you know, the shots came from the outside or we didn't give up a lot of chances. We've got internal numbers that tell us that, you know, they were... No, be the better team on balance. Like, get to a point where you're the better team. You know, Colorado doesn't tell you about uh, the scoring chances they gave up. Colorado tells you about the goals that they score and the way that they blow teams out of the water because they're a good team and they're well-constructed. The Vancouver Canucks are not. And so you're right. It, It A lot of it's on Jim Benning. And some of it's on Travis Green and the systems that they play. But when you look, and right now they're without Elias Pettersson. That's hurting them, certainly. And Tanner Pearson got hurt the other night. So they're down a couple of top six forwards. But they're just not constructed very well. And so I'm with you. I mean, it's not just the math. I think at the end of the day, uh, they're just not good enough to be a playoff team. And remember, too, Tony, they didn't make the playoffs. And it's like Montreal last year. They didn't make the playoffs last year in the bubble, they were invited to the expanded playoff tournament, right? Like there was no guarantee the Canucks were going to be a playoff team last year, but they got no. invited because they expanded the field. As a matter of fact, the Canadians were a seller right before the deadline. You're listening and watching the Sick Podcast is brought to you by my bookie. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. You talked about the Canucks and the four goals they scored. Um, I didn't think Carey Price had one of his better games last night. Not in regulation anyway. I thought there's two of those four that he probably should have had, but at least he saved his best for last. You have to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Carey Price, once the game got to the overtime, was determined not to give up the winner, and he was determined not to lose that hockey game once it went to a shootout either. So I thought he made a few big saves. One of them was off Besser uh, with probably about 10 or 11 seconds left in the overtime where he's able to get the pad out, but I have to tell you, because here in Montreal, we're going apt. Everyone's going crazy. Absolutely nuts. Because, yes, the Canadians lost last night and lucky for the one last night and lucky for them, they did. But the way they approach overtime, approaching it with the wrong personnel for most of the season, uh, losing all their games, 
not going for it, not showing the confidence. And now last night they had a different game plan. And luckily for them, it worked out. And the game plan they had last night was, let's try and not make Vancouver touch the puck at all. And But they weren't taking much, and they're circling back and circling back and circling back. The Canucks have done very well in overtime on three-on-three this season. From an outside point of view, somebody watching the Canadians and how they approach three-on-three overtime, you say what? Well, first of all, I look at the way the Montreal Canadiens are constructed, and they were without Tyler Toffoli, their leading goal scorer. So I think they went into the game with their leading goal scorer was Anderson and and yeah. uh, Gallagher and Petrie. They'll have 11 goals. So, you know, that's the one thing from the outside. You look at the Habs, you think, like, you know, depth across the board, but maybe not that high, high-end finishing talent. And when you get to overtime, sometimes sheer talent is going to win. But I will say that we saw the Canucks and the Canadians play here in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago, a game that went to a shootout. And the Habs employed the same strategy. And really, that was the first time I saw it. And I didn't get what was going on. And it felt like they were playing keep away. And it felt like they were doing everything they could to keep Quinn Hughes on the ice to kind of wear him down. And he had a two and a half minute shift. But yeah. at some point, you have to attack that, right? Like, if that's the strategy, if you're trying to wear a guy down, then attack him. And they just didn't. And I joked on Twitter last night that Carey Price led the Habs in puck possession in overtime because they kept throwing it back to their goalie. So, you know, I do wonder. I wonder if I this is a Jeff, if I can, if I can, I don't mind that strategy. If you don't have a play and you want to give it back to your goalie to set up, you're still possessing the puck. I don't mind that strategy. The strategy oh. I don't like is when you just keep circling back and you don't even want to take guys on in a 1v1 situation. If you're 1v1, you try and take the guy. The night before, we saw what JT Miller did. He okay. took his guy to the outside, cut inside, made the move on Jake Allen, and scored that game-winning goal. But at least last night, at least, at least, on two occasions, Philip Deneau had a great scoring chance in overtime on the breakaway. It was a great save by Holpe. And Jonathan Drouin decided to try and make things happen himself and stick handle his way past two guys, and holding made another big save. So at least on two occasions, they tried to go for it. But this whole circling back the way they do, man, at some point, you got to attack a little bit more. Well, you tell me, Tony, because you're there in Montreal. Imagine yeah. a full bell center, 20,000 people on a Saturday night. Do you think they get away with that? Or is this a product of the pandemic in an empty building? Because I don't think the paying customers would allow the home team to continue to circle back and not attack and don't do anything. People want to be entertained. They've paid their money. There's nobody there in the building right now. So nobody's there yeah. to complain. But I, I get the feeling that the home team, and I'm not just saying Montreal, I'm saying any home team that tried to employ that strategy in overtime, I think they might hear from it or hear about it from their fans. Yeah, so the Canadians have gone to 10 games in overtime. They've won once, which means nine times they've picked up the loser point. In your opinion, do the Montreal Canadiens deserve to be a playoff team? Because I saw our buddy Jason Greger talking about this on Twitter, and Jason says, how do you deserve to be a playoff team if you picked up nine loser points? And there's two ways of looking at the Canadians' record. The Canadians today, at the time of this recording on a Sunday afternoon, have a record of 14, 8, and 9. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is they have 14 wins and 17 losses. Now, 14 wins, 17 losses makes 28 points. 14, 8, and 9 with the 9 loser points makes 37 points. How do you see the Habs? 14, 8, and 9 
or a 14 and 17 team that picked up nine loser points and doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs? Yeah, I come at it a little differently, Tony. Like, you know, back in the day, and we're old enough to remember ties. And the only reason overtime was approved was teams wanted to guarantee that they would get a single point and then they would play for a bonus point. I look at the bonus point. I, I think that what they're playing for in overtime and in a shootout is the bonus point. And I get that the team that ends up losing at the end of the night walks away with a single point, but I tend to come at it a little bit differently and see that they're playing for the bonus point that if there were still ties, they would each go home with one. And so it's not like they lost it. And look at Friday's game. Like that's a point for the Montreal Canadiens. They were down in the final minute of regulation. It looked like they were going to get nothing. They're able to score on the power play and get it to overtime at the very least. So uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the other nine and sort of figure out uh, whether they were good points, bad points, whatever the case. But, you know, when you compare the Habs record to the Vancouver Canucks, the Canucks have 16 outright losses. Like Montreal has done a better job of managing its losses and getting a few of these games to overtime where they're guaranteed to get something. The Vancouver Canucks uh, early in the season were getting blown out on the regular. Like they weren't in hockey games. They didn't deserve to get anything out of those games. They've been better of late. They've played a ton of close games. But you look at the Canucks here on this road trip, every game went to overtime or a shootout. They didn't have a clean win in the bunch. Now the game's in Ottawa, the single point that the Senators pick up, that's not going to matter to the Canucks at the end of the season. But we come back to what we started with. They needed regulation wins against the Montreal Canadiens and they couldn't get one on Friday night and ultimately last night. You know, they had a lead in the third period in both of those games. Like they had their chances and Montreal was able to chip away and come all the way back and and get what they needed to get it to overtime. So uh, I don't have a, I get that there are people out there and they scream and bang pots and pans about the loser point. I don't see it that way. I think Montreal did enough to get games to overtime. And then from there, uh, and look, I think it's a statistical anomaly that they've been as bad as they have beyond regulation. But at the same time, if they're going to approach overtime the way they have here, uh, the games that we referenced, then maybe they haven't deserved to win a lot of those goals or a lot of those games. So uh, again, I I just think the way they're constructed, I think Montreal is a better team than the Vancouver Canucks. I agree with you on that. He's Jeff Patterson. I'm Tony Marinero. You're listening and watching the sick podcast and you can listen to it on all social media platforms. And you can also check it out on Instagram and Facebook. Check out at the sick podcast, like it on Facebook and share it with your friends. We're talking Habs. We're talking Canucks. They just finished off two games at the Bell Center in Montreal on Friday night. The Vancouver Canucks won in overtime. And on Saturday night, the Montreal Canadians won in a shootout. Jeff Patterson says the Vancouver Canucks aren't going to make the playoffs. I say the Vancouver Canucks aren't going to make the playoffs. So my next question to you, Jeff Patterson, is after seeing the Montreal Canadiens so many times this year, and unfortunately we're not going to see the Vancouver Canucks and the Canadiens anymore playing against each other. That's it. They're done. Do you think the Montreal Canadiens are going to make the playoffs this year? Yes or no? And why? I'm going to say they do. And I think it's going to come down. Now, I think they got five left head-to-head with the Calgary Flames, if I'm not mistaken. Like, those are going to be massive games. And that's part of why I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs, because there are points that are going to be exchanged. They're going to be picked up by either the Flames or the Habs, and that just makes life that much more difficult for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, at the end of the day, I, yeah, I, I like the Montreal Canadiens. I like them in the offseason. I like the fact that Mark Bergevin was aggressive when most of these GMs were, you know, throwing their hands in the air and saying, oh, we're cash-strapped and pandemic and we can't do anything. And Bergevin went out and he got busy. And, you know, you referenced the Toffoli signing. You can yeah. imagine, Tony, that weekend of free agency here in Vancouver, Markstrom goes, Tanev goes, Troy Stetcher, a local guy, 
popular in the dressing room, popular Steady. with fans. Get he walked dressing. away. Yeah. And, and then I think it was the Monday of that Thanksgiving weekend. And then to fully signs and as you point out, manageable dollars. Like try this on size. Yeah. This year, this year, Brandon Sutter has a higher average annual salary than Tyler Toffoli. Brandon Sutter, Does it make any sense? Brandon Sutter has two goals in his last 27 games, and one of them was into an empty net. So they're getting no value out of – I mean, he's got some penalty-killing utility. But uh, no, and, and there was – look, lots of people – like the fans are smarter than ever now with all the information yeah. that's available to them. There were howls here to buy out Brandon Sutter to free up some money so that they could have signed a guy like Tyler Toffoli. Of course, and, of course. In, in, Look, Travis Green without a contract extension. All of his assistant coaches are without a contract extension. They're coming into a summer where they're going to have to sign Pedersen and they're going to have to sign Hughes. And now they're going to have to sign Thatcher Demko as well. And this owner has just completely clamped down on spending any money. So there is so much uncertainty around this organization here in Vancouver. And I think it's frustrating for fan base, the fan base when they see other teams that are willing to buck up. And so maybe it's the fact that beer sales through the pandemic have been good for the, the Molson yeah. family. Whatever the case, Montreal was willing to spend some money that the Vancouver Canucks weren't. And in the end, I think that's going to come back to bite the Canucks. Hey, well, and it, it, you know, they deserve to be bitten. Um, Tyler Toffoli in one game versus the Vancouver Canucks this year, in one game, has scored more goals than Brandon Sutter has scored all season for the Vancouver Canucks. But, hey, I'll tell you this, though. Would Brandon Sutter be in a pretty good pickup at the deadline for a guy who can win a faceoff or two? Yes or no? Yeah, although you saw on the fourth Montreal goal, Deneau cleaned his clock on the Gallagher yeah. goal. Um, yeah. you know, win by Deneau. Now, not a, you know, you're not going to win every face-off, Obviously, Dino is a good face-off guy, so I'm yeah. not going to say that that that's the that's not the Brandon Sutter story for the season. Brandon Sutter's utility is he's a veteran guy. He's a he's a really you know the old good in the room guy. He is. He's a, he's just a super solid dude, and his penalty killing is I think above average at the NHL level. So when you get to the playoffs, you know, so often it's special teams on an expiring contract, I think that Brandon Sutter would be a decent pickup for some team as long as, you know, they don't have expectations of offense because offense just goes to die uh, on Brandon Sutter's stick. Now he did have a hat trick earlier this season against Ottawa. So uh, we got a point. He's got six on the season. So Toffoli didn't yeah. score six. It felt like Toffoli scored six against the Canucks. It's just that Brandon Sutter has been in this ice cold stretch for the last 25 or 26 games. But yeah, I mean, when I look at the Canuck roster, and we're coming down to the, the trade deadline. You've got Tanner Pearson, unfortunately, got hurt in Ottawa the other night. Uh, he was probably their biggest trade chip. You've got Sutter. You've got Travis Hamanick. You've got Jordy Ben. Fans in Montreal know about Jordy Ben, who's actually had a decent season for the Canucks. Uh, and then you've got Alex Adler, who's been a lifetime Canuck. And the story of, you know, will he waive his no-movement clause has been asked so many times over the years. And he's shown no interest in chasing a cup elsewhere. He's just, that's kind of who Alex Edler is. He's comfortable here in Vancouver, even though he could resign with the Canucks at the end of the season. I don't get a sense that Edler uh, is going to waive uh, his trade protection. So, uh, you know, it comes down to guys like Sutter and Hamannick and, and Ben are probably the most likely to move. There's a lot of trade talk around Jake Furtanen as well, but uh, uh, there's been trade talk around Jake Furtanen for years now. Forever, and yeah. So, um yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I, if I'm the Canucks, I, I certainly I think the Canucks should be sellers at this point. I think they should be looking at moving guys like yeah. Sutter. Try to get an asset 
even if you don't use the draft pick, maybe you use the draft pick for a deal with one of these teams that's going to run into expansion problems and protection problems there. Maybe you can poach the way they did with Nate Schmidt last offseason. So uh, I think Jim Benning should be amassing as many assets as he can. Uh, yeah. Even if you want flashy deals, I think that's where the Canucks are here a couple of weeks ahead of the trade deadline. It's the Sick Podcast. Go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code SICKHOODIES15 for 15% off on all of your hoodies. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You ready for this one? Yeah, hit me. A couple of years ago, the Montreal Canadiens had the third pick overall in the draft, and they drafted centerman Jesperi Kakanyemi, thus passing on defenseman Quinn Hughes. You've had a chance to see Hughes. You've had a chance to see Kakanyemi in all the games the Canucks have played versus the Canadians this season, and you've had a chance to see him over the past couple of seasons. Who got the better player? And I like Kakanyemi. I do. And, and you know, I think he's going to develop into a really solid centerman, and I like Suzuki as well. So I think the Montreal Canadiens are, are setting up reasonably well in the here and now, but also the future. But, look, it's hard to argue with what Quinn Hughes has done for the Vancouver Canucks, what he's meant for the Vancouver Canucks. I know that the Habs have... Uh, the storied history going back 100 years. The Canucks don't, obviously. 50 years of existence, they've never had a defenseman that does the thing that Qu- things that Quinn Hughes does. And Quinn Hughes got off to a tough start this year in his own zone, defensively, was given up way too much. But he is so supremely talented. And you look at the point total for him. He's up to 28 now in 35 games. They've never had a point-producing defenseman that can run a power play the way Quinn Hughes uh, did and to get him seventh overall, it wasn't just Montreal that passed on him. Uh, you look at uh, some of the other teams. Obviously, you know I think everybody thought when Hughes was still on the board and Detroit was picking sixth, and they went with Zadina. And Zadina uh, still has a chance to pan out to be a, a terrific player. But with Quinn Hughes's ties to University of Michigan, you know it just felt he had played for Jeff Blaschel at the World Championship. I think everybody in Vancouver was resigned to the fact that Hughes, no-brainer, was going to the Red Wings. And then they passed on him. And so Quinn Hughes truly fell into the Canucks' lap at seven and has been just you know outstanding when you think of the point production of a 20- and a 21-year-old defenseman doing the things yeah. that he's doing, playing the situations. Now, again, he hasn't been as good defensively this year as he was last year when uh, Chris Tanev was his partner and his buddy on and off the ice. And yeah. Tanev was a terrific mentor for him. You know, yeah. they've had some trouble finding the right partner. Hamannick uh, was the start, and then Hamannick got hurt, and then Jordy Ben played with him for a while. Uh, Hamannick has been better since he came back from injury. Uh, but really, with Quinn Hughes, you know, you just wind him up and you let him go, and you make sure that you're covering for him if you're his defense partner. Uh, I think, really, it's pretty simple uh, to play with him. You try to get out of his way. But I would say at this point that the Canucks ended up with the better player. There we go. There we go. All of that for you, for me to get you say that the Canucks ended up with a better player. Kakanyemi went third to the Canadians. Uh, Brady Kachuk went fourth to Ottawa, of course. Arizona went with a pretty good centerman themselves uh, at number five. Uh, Detroit went with Zadina at six. And then Quinn Hughes at seven. Um, So you said Vancouver ended up with a better player than Montreal did. But I have to ask you. Uh, is he better than Brady Kachuk, in your opinion? Did the Vancouver Canucks get the best player at the number seven spot better than the third pick? You said yes, but the fourth pick, the fifth pick, and the sixth pick. Uh, Brady Kachuk or Quinn Hughes? Who got the better player? That's a tough one because 
I think the Canucks needed this kind of player. They needed a game-changing defenseman. So yeah. uh, I think when you stack it up, yeah, I mean, those other players, I'm a huge fan of Brady Kachuk. I love the way he plays. Uh, you know, the bigger issue in Vancouver is Matthew Kachuk, right, who went sixth overall in his draft year, and the Canucks took Ole Levy, the player before him. Olevi yeah. has been a healthy scratch for a dozen games here. Uh, and and if know, I can, I mean, Jeff, if I can, they took Olevi in a draft where Mikhail Sergachev went ninth, uh, to the Canadians who eventually traded him to the uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Jonathan Drouin, and yep. Charlie McAvoy went 14th. I know. So those are me. two defensemen that they passed Trust on. Me. Those numbers and names get thrown around here in Vancouver an awful lot uh, when it comes to Ole Alevi. So that's the bigger blunder when it comes to the Kachuk family, I think, for the Canucks. And, and remember, too, that Ulevi and Kachuk were teammates in London. Jim Benning got to the podium, and he said, from the London Knights, and I think everybody thought it was going to be Matthew Kachuk, and instead wow. they went with Ole Alevi. But I still think Quinn Hughes was, you know, it just it was amazing that the Canucks got the bounce they did there in the draft to get him seventh overall. So, uh, again, I like Brady Kachuk. He's going to be a huge part of what the Ottawa Senators are trying to put together there. Uh, still a few years away, obviously, but uh, I, I think I keep coming back to the fact that uh, in that situation, the Canucks needed a game-changing defenseman, and they seem to have found that in Quinn Hughes. Let's end it with this. If Vancouver misses the playoffs, and if the Canadians miss the playoffs, what do you think happens with their respective general managers? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I'm in a position to speak to the situation in Montreal, just because I, you know, I'm, I watch from afar, and uh, I know that there's a heat on every Canadian general manager, especially the one in, in Montreal. But uh, I, I think change is coming here in Vancouver. I know that the Canucks have stabilized. Uh, you may recall mid-February, the owner took to Twitter. And that's the only way we ever hear from the owner here in Vancouver is his Twitter account. And he gave the old vote of confidence. And usually that's a kiss of death. But the Canucks have been better since that night in mid-February. And he pledged his support for both Travis Green and Jim Benning. I think Jim Benning's days are numbered. It's such a huge summer here. Those three contracts that I talked about, Pedersen and Hughes are two of the biggest contracts and yeah. most important contracts in franchise history. And when you think of the struggles around free agency last October, uh, I'm not sure that Jim Benning and his front office crew are the guys that should be handling those negotiations, quite frankly. And Thatcher Demko has worked his way into a conversation here as one of the best goalies in the month of March. He's due for a big raise. And so there's some real work to be done there. If you're Travis Green, though, I think that's the concern is if a new general manager comes in, Green on expiring contract, you know, what's his future? Would a new GM want to bring in his new coach? We see that in sports an awful lot. The other crazy thing to keep in mind here, Tony, and I have said this so many times here in Vancouver, and nothing has changed. Travis mm -hmm. Green doesn't have an extension. The Seattle Kraken don't have a head coach. Travis Green played for Spokane. So he's a name that has played hockey in Washington State. If you're trying to yeah. sell and build from the ground up, he coached in Portland in the Western Hockey League. So he's familiar with the Pacific Northwest. He's a BC boy. And yeah. I, I could see that. I could see that. All yeah, depends I, on what his connection is with Ron Francis, of course. But listen, I could see that. Uh, I'm going to answer the, the whole Mark Bergevin thing for you then. Okay. Uh, I'm closer to the situation. He is a month away, a month and a half away from his nine-year work anniversary. If last year COVID doesn't come into play and there's no play-in and no extra teams invited, the Canadians would have missed the playoffs for three years in a row for their last five. If they miss it this year, considering that the expectations were so high and they went all in, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets fired. But because his contract is up at the end of next season, I'm going to say this. I think he'll probably still have at least one more season 
But at the same time, I have no idea what they're going to say at the end of the year should they miss the playoffs. What do you say? You say we didn't miss the playoffs. We missed the playoffs because Ben Sherratt was out for six weeks. We missed the playoffs because some of our guys had bad seasons. We missed the playoffs because we didn't pick up as many points as we should have because we weren't good enough in overtime. I don't know what they're going to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Bergevin will be able to see his contract out, which is going to be at the end of next season. This was awesome talking Vancouver Canucks with you, Jeff Patterson. I had a lot of fun. Canucks, Canadians, it's over for them this year in the regular season, but it wasn't over today on the Sick Podcast, which you can watch and listen on Facebook and Instagram at the Sick Podcast and on all social media platforms. He's Jeff Patterson. Listen to his podcast as well. The Van Cast Podcast from The Athletic. Absolutely. And look, even though the regular season series is finished between these teams, a ton of interest in Montreal here in Vancouver because of Tyler Toffoli. I know he didn't play last night, but I think people are cheering for him to continue to have the kind of season that he's had so far. And we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, hey, you, you know where to find me anytime, Tony. I'd uh, be happy to come on back and talk some more hockey with you. And Carey Price, who's a BC boy. Shea Weber, who's a BC boy. Gallagher. And Brendan Gallagher, who played his junior hockey, of course, in BC. We'll talk to you soon. He's Jeff Patterson. I'm Marinero. It's the Sick Podcast. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPIX for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid.